everybody and welcome back to the podcast. On today's episode is a man who I've wanted to get on for a while actually and whose career I've been following since I think 2018, maybe 2017. He is a natural bodybuilder and he has become one of the biggest physique coaches in the world in recent years. His athletes are frequently not only placing in but winning some of the biggest competitions out there and I cannot wait to have him on today to talk to you about all things physique. So welcome to the podcast, Paul Ravella. Thank you, Chloe. I appreciate you having me on. No, I'm really happy you're here. So I suppose first things first, can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, about how you got started in bodybuilding and how was your journey in competing, some of the coaches you worked under and how you ended up becoming a coach yourself? Yeah, so my journey through bodybuilding um, really probably started in high school. I just became kind of obsessed with muscle and physiques. I was an athlete my whole life. I was a baseball, basketball player, played some volleyball, things like that. But all throughout my, you know, high school years playing sports, I always enjoyed the the training for the sports. I really decided to just throw myself into lifting weights in the early, in my early twenties. Um, and for me, bodybuilding at that time wasn't about competing. It was just, I wanted to be I wanted to put on as much muscle as possible. I became obsessed with nutrition and training and me and my best friends were spending, you know, hours a week in the gym. It wasn't until I was 32 that I actually thought about competing. There was a guy at the time on bodybuilding.com making videos about, it was called life of a natural pro. And so he was documenting coaching one of his athletes to try to win a natural pro card. His name was Lane Norton. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm interested in doing a bodybuilding show. I signed up with him and, and off we went for a full year. I went to a show and I did that same show a year later. So I spent the whole year working with him. And I ended up winning the show as a natural athlete in an untested federation. Uh, I won the, uh, the bodybuilding uh, division that I was in. And so they kind of just, it became, uh, you know, an extension of, my love for lifting weights and nutrition um, at a point in my life when I was 32 and, um, you know, being associated with Lane and learning from Lane, it was right when the internet was kind of taken off with fitness in the early, you know, mid 2000s, 2007, 2008. And so Lane at the same time as I did my show, graduated from college and moved to where I lived in Florida. And so I started going to his events. I started becoming like, a, you know, I started helping him out with things. And I ended up doing another show the next year, earning my professional status as a natural bodybuilder. And I documented this whole journey on bodybuilding.com, a lot of stuff on the forums. And so then people started reaching out to me and saying, hey, we're, I'm looking for a coach. And at the time, I was not interested in coaching. I thought, I'm going to leave that up to the experts. Um, and then Lane kept encouraging me. He kept saying, you know, you should really look into coaching. Well, I had a career at the time that I was, you know, I loved my job. I loved my work. But the more he would, you know, prod me, the more I would say, okay, but I'll do it only if you help me. And he was absolutely. So I had someone to like bounce ideas off of. Um, I took his philosophies and applied them to people. I immediately had some success. And that's kind of when my business took off in the, uh, in, in those early 2011, 2012. Um, and to this day, Lane and I are still very close. I talked to him multiple times per week. I was the best man at his last wedding. Um, he was in my wedding party, um, you know, so Lane's somebody that I've been very close with. So he coached me for the multiple competitions. I also worked with his first coach, Dr. Joe Klimzeski. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and I've had the opportunity to go back to school when I decided to coach. I said, I'm going back to school to USF. Um, I took some classes at, uh, in exercise science at Dr. Bill Campbell's program. I met some amazing people like, you know, Lauren Conlon, who we've discussed, um, Eric Helms. I've been able to travel the world and, you know, across, over that decade of coaching, now I have the opportunity to do things the way that, you know, the philosophies that I was taught, but also now I'm coaching people at the highest level of the sport with um, uh, last year, my client getting fourth at the uh, Bikini Olympia. So, yeah, De Raja, I'm a big fan. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You should have her on too. Um, I will. I love to put out content. I focus on a lot on YouTube and Instagram. And I'm at a show almost every weekend. I speak at seminars. We host events. We do our transformation challenge. So it's literally my life um, at this point. It's so impressive. I've just watched, I've been following you for so many years now, and I've just watched it grow and grow and grow. And I think, you know, I mean, this isn't what we're going to touch on today, but also just from a business perspective, it's so impressive as somebody who runs two businesses, like the amount that you do and the amount of content you put out, I'm I'm honestly astounded by it. Um, it's a lot of hard work. Um, okay, let me let me ask you: Are you still you're Are you still competing now? Are you planning to compete again, or is that part of your life done? Yeah. So actually, in November, I started dieting with the idea that I would compete this year. I actually did compete in June at a show in Miami. Um, I did win first place in my class, but I decided I want to wait till later in the year to do a national show. So I'm probably going to wait till. September, October to get on stage again, maybe November, because it, it is my lifestyle now. It's not this, you know, this the same, you know, approach that I had when I first started competing was like it was life or death. I'm going to do this show. I'm going to win. Now it's more like, you know, I'm going to get up and do some cardio. I'm going to lose five pounds, see how I feel. You know, the kids come first. My wife comes first. My clients come first. So I'm a, I'm a distant, you know, priority. But honestly, like, it's just a lot easier now at this stage in life. There's not as much pulling me in different directions. My life is very kind of simplified so that, yeah. it, you know, I was able to diet down and do a show with very little impact to the people around me. In fact, a lot of the people didn't even know I was competing until I put up pictures. Uh, so it's amazing. But I think as well, that just comes with like longevity. How long have you been training for? How much do you allow your lifestyle to kind of follow that path in an organic way. And I do find that the people who've been doing this the longest find it the easiest to stay in shape and that pendulum swing finds a really nice middle. Um, and I think that is kind of like the reason why you should just keep sticking at it, keep working on your behavior, keep working on your physique because over time it becomes easier and easier. Um, I wanted to ask you, okay, so I don't want to be presumptuous. I, and so do correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that you predominantly coach bikini competitors who do co incredibly well under your guidance. Why do you think that you appeal to that bracket of competitors so much? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a question I get all the time. So you don't have to be presumptuous. I focus only on bikini at this point. Um, I think it was a multifactorial reason why I became a bikini prep coach. So when I first started coaching, I was coaching mostly men who were competing at the competitions that I was at, which would be natural bodybuilding. Um, I've even had natural bodybuilders win world titles. I, I even had a natural bodybuilder win a bikini world title. Um, so what, what was happening with me at the time when I first started coaching, I'm not someone that pushes performance enhancing drugs, right? I'm not someone that's, you know, putting everybody on steroids. In fact, I don't put anybody on steroids. I work with a hormone therapy clinic. It's not my kind of approach. And I think, when the bikini division first came out, it was it was a lot of 
females getting coached improperly by people that were coaching mostly men. They were giving them very, very drastic approaches to cardio and training and nutrition that were unnecessarily harsh and, and harming them and damaging them. So when I started coaching competitors in the bikini division and they started slowly improving, you know, I would go and have a girl win a show. Then I would go have a girl win a overall, then, then the nationals, then a pro show. I think, you know, my approach to coaching started to catch on and to the point where now I see a lot of other coaches, other teams using my approaches and how I do things with diet breaks and linear loading into shows. And, you know, when you, when you, you know, I've also been associated with people like Brett Contreras, who's helped me with my training. I have no ego when it comes to how I approach this. I'm looking for the best approach. And I think, so what happened was really, I got a couple good athletes that had big followings and they were with these horrendous teams. Mm -hmm. And so when you get a girl or an athlete that has a big following and has lots of people that know who she is, and she leaves a situation and comes out and comes in and does up better in another situation. I think a lot of people that follow that person go, well, who is this coach and what's so different? And so it just happened multiple times that I would get a large influx. And so when I started traveling to shows, I realized it's impossible for me to coach a bikini competitor one day, a bodybuilder the next day, a powerlifter the next day, someone that's doing an endurance race, a soccer mom that just wants to lose five pounds. My focus became solely around the bikini division when I realized, okay, I've got a talent for this and I have a high demand for this. It was also the fastest growing division in the sport. I have to limit the amount of clients that I can work with. And so, you know, it just made sense for me to put all my focus on that. And it's been, you know, I've I've been blessed. I think, you know, I I love coaching women for a lot of reasons. Um, I think there are a lot of bad elements in the sport that take advantage of women There are a lot of bad coaches that don't know how to coach women. And so I think I'm trying to just be a good influence on the division, the sport as a whole, their short-term and long-term goals. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just where it kind of naturally went. I never set out to do this. Believe me, there's times where I'm like, how did I get here? (laughs) I I think it's, it's incredible. I, I just think it's so impressive. So let's say a female client comes to you. She kind of lifts, she kind of eats right. But in the context of competing, she's a complete novice. And she says, I want to complete and I want to do it as soon as possible. What is the first step in the grand plan to get her on stage? How long do you like your female clients to spend in a targeting building phase before you then start to hone in on a show day and plan a cut? Yeah, so the first step is to get this person to go to a show. Because if you're focusing your attention on Instagram, YouTube, and social media, you don't actually understand the sport. You're looking at a highlight reel of probably Laura Lee Chapatos and Jennifer Dory and, (laughs) you know, Ashley Kaltwasser and Daraja. And you're going, how do you look like that? And the answer is you don't. That is, you're talking about 0.01% of the genetic outliers who have dedicated their life to the sport. However, if you go to your local show and walk in there, you're going to see people that while they look great, they're obviously lifting, they're obviously taking care of the nutrition, they are your normal walk of life people. And for me, that was an aha moment. I never wanted to do a show because I thought you had to look like Ronnie Coleman or Doreen Yates. And I went to this show in 2007 and I walked out thinking like, wow, they, those guys look great, but I could do that. There's nothing yeah. nothing about them. And so the minute you do that, then you can talk to your client about expectations. So I, I'll coach anybody 
as long as they understand their expectations. If someone says to me, I want to go win the Bikini Olympia and they've been working out for a year, I'm going to say, okay, well, we have to understand the expectation. What is your expectation for your first show? Do you just want to go and see if you like it and enjoy it and wearing the suit and the hair and the makeup and the tan and the show day stuff? Maybe you won't even like it. So let's go do one show and then either your fire is going to be lit or you're going to be like, nah, I just like the working out part. I don't like the competing part. So there's a lot that goes into competing that, you know, that people don't understand. And so you've got to make sure you, you, you experience it by going to a show. And then I can talk to someone about their experience. Now, the other thing about the bikini division, as it is the entry level division for bodybuilding, basically for women, I've had athletes come to me who have never competed before, but they did track, they did ballet or dance. They had an athletic background. They already had that foundation of muscle, especially in the lower body where, you know, we can train for 16 weeks and we can get on stage and be very competitive and maybe win a show. So it, it's, it's impossible to say like this one size fits all um, because there are, especially in the States, there are competition levels that are, you know, very small natural bodybuilding organizations. And then you can go and compete in the NPC and the IFBB where you're going to be competing with 50 girls in your class. And I mean, this is basically what my life has become. I have to understand every show that my competitors would potentially compete in and be able to give them that advice. At this point in my coaching career, I typically focus on the NPC and the IFBB. Most of my competitors are going in the NPC, going to nationals to get a pro card. Then they want to go try to qualify for the Olympia. This is like the, the path of mo most of my competitors. But that's not to say that, you know, I love working with, with novice competitors um, because I feel like I can guide them on that journey the best. You know, Diraj is a great example. I've been her coach for her entire career. And, you know, I think we've, we've, we've done yeah, we well. see Yeah, we've seen what she's done with that. So, okay. So I suppose it depends on the girl. It depends on the history. It depends on the show. And can I ask, do you have a preferred way to program your clients? Is there like a, a training split based, is your training split based on how many times that they can train a week? Or do you have an optimal look? If you can train this many days a week, that would be ideal. And this is my preferred split as a coach. Yeah. So I'll say the most common split for me is five days a week of training, two days a week of full rest. Um, some, some competitors really like to train six days, but I try to discourage that. Um, and then the training split that has worked the best for me has been to train, you know, the glutes and lower body three days per week, mm -hmm. depending on their specific needs. Most competitors need more glutes. Very rarely are there too much glutes. And then, you know, with bikini, it's all about balance. So we got to make sure the shoulders are keeping up with the glutes. So, you know, we may be training shoulders two to three days a week as well. Um, one of my favorite splits is glutes and shoulders Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Of course, we're going to, we're going to change our intensity, our volume per workout to make sure that we're getting recovery. Um, and this is where, you know, Brett Contreras has been a great help for me. You know, oftentimes I'll send him a training split and he'll send it back and be like, nope, too much volume on this day. You need to add a, you know, a lateral, you know, hip abduction on this day, you know, Brett's got his rule of training in thirds. If you ever heard Brett speak, he's obsessed with yeah. muscle building. So he's coming on. I'm very excited to have him on. Oh, I mean, you better plan two, three hours. That man can talk. <laughs> um, I've heard, but he makes me laugh a lot. So I'm here for it. Oh, it, you know, so Brett actually moved to Florida recently. Um, and I'm actually going down to see him next week. So I can't wait. I'm going to go train with him. I'm going to have some competitors come in and pose and train. And he's just great to be around for that reason. But 
you know, so the training splits, you know, I have some girls that are doing just every body part twice a week. And the ones that have a lagging body part will usually hit it three times a week. I yeah. don't think you can hit every body part three times a week successfully. You know, what I have found is that you can hit one upper body part and one lower body part three times per week. Everything else needs to be kind of on maintenance mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like that. That's um, I always do glutes and shoulders together. So it makes me feel happy that, that that's something you program as well. Let me ask you about the cut. Um, is there like a hard line? This is too short of a time for you to kind of aim to lose any body fat you might have gained in a building phase. Is there too long of a time where you're like, you can't diet for that long, it's not gonna work. Do you have like a nice sweet spot or again, is it just really dependent on the girl already and her physique? Yeah, that's always gonna be the biggest telltale, right? It's like, okay, so do we have to lose 15 pounds or do we have to lose 25 pounds? I always prefer longer preps because I don't believe in the the term you're ready early because once my competitors get stage lean, I'm able to pull the cardio out, bring the food up, their recovery improves, their sleep improves, their digestion improves, their inflammation drops. They just become a better athlete. So if you look at um, historically any of my competitors that compete by the third or fourth show of the season, they're really hitting their peak. Um, and it's because once the body fat comes off, you can kind of return the body, you can return the body back to its off-season state as far as metabolism. What typically happens with most competitors and most approaches, they run people into the ground. And so when their season comes over, they just start going out and eating. They cut out their cardio and they put on 15, 20 pounds in the first month. They've missed their opportunity. Um, whereas with me, I'm gonna bring the food up going into the show, restore them. And so yeah, I I like a longer prep because I like to take diet breaks, which is basically a week-long recovery of less cardio, more food, periodically throughout the process. I find that this sets the athlete up to be better equipped to handle the post-show experience, less cravings, um, better metabolism. Um, I don't care who you are. When you get down to, you know, 7, 8, 10% body fat, you're going to be hungry. You're going to be tired. But it puts them in a better position. My clients are not food-focused. The day of the show, the day before the show, they're eating more food than they've had in months. So they're not hungry. Most of my competitors, when the show is over, don't even want to go out to eat. Um, they do it out of social obligations, not because they're like, I can't wait. They're, they're not storing food. I've made it my goal as a, as a coach to put people in a position to be sexful, successful when the season's over versus just getting on stage, bragging about someone's trophy. Next thing you know, they got to take two years off because their hormones are a mess. They've got an eating disorder. Um, that to me is not coaching. Coaching to me is the whole life cycle of the athlete. Yeah. And I think this kind of touches on in a much more specified way, what I was saying about the longer you do it, the more the lifestyle kicks in, the longer you train, the better your physique gets. And I think, I know that you're quite known for, from what I've heard from podcasts that you've done and things I've read that you've written is that you're fine to push quite hard when it comes to, you know, the actual like nitty gritty of the prep. But what you would really like to do is, as you say, reverse your clients into a show, up their calories, typically via carbohydrates, so they go in looking nice and full and they have a much better post-show experience. And I think that was where you were one of the first coaches that really started to think about post-show and actually compassionately care about your athletes. I wanted to ask you, like, how often or do you ever have to change a show date because the client doesn't look or feel ready? Is that a normal thing that happens or have you kind of... Have you kind of nailed the process that you you coach by by now? 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a kind of a tricky question because of my clientele. I probably coach more bikini pros than I do any other, you know, I have more pros than I have NPC. The thing about the pro stage is it's very unforgiving, Yeah. right? The NPC stage, you can show up not at 100%, and if you're a good athlete, you can still dominate. The pro stage, you can show up at 100% your all-time best, and you can still be 30th, right? Yeah. So I'm, I, it, again, it all comes down to the expectation of the athlete. What is our expectation? If it's somebody that's getting ready for nationals, we only have a set number of national shows. We only have like six shows per year to do. And this might be this person's based on their budget, their schedule, their work, their kids, their life. Listen, we've got this one shot to do North Americans on September 1st. We've got to do everything to be ready for that show. But with a pro athlete, you probably noticed there's a show every weekend. Heck, yeah. some weekends, like last weekend, there was three pro shows on one day. So instead of having an athlete that's three weeks out and saying, okay, we're going to do this show. If I don't think we're going to be at our best and be contending to win, I'm going to say, hey, let's rebook our flights. Let's go two weeks later and go to this show in Atlanta because, you know, we're going to get a favorable look because of this judge, we're going to be better conditioned, we're going to be filled out more. So yeah, it, it, it literally comes down to a case by case basis. But that that's that's kind of the experience of being a coach and being able to be very upfront with my clients and telling them, I'm at a show every weekend. I know what's going to win. So I can tell my client, listen, you're going to be competitive or you're not. Yeah. And, it, and then it's in their hands. I like to give them the information. And of course, you know, they're in charge of their life, but I pr try to provide that. And, you know, that's not always been easy. To, to no. That's a hard part of the job, but ultimately you're a physique coach and they're coming, they're paying you and they're doing what you say because your job is to objectively look at their physique and tell them what's competitive and what's not. And it is a really horrible side effect of it, but it's a physique sport and that's just the truth of it. And I was going to ask you, what's your strategy if you get, if the client gets very lean and getting pretty close to stage and you start to notice that actually they're quite unbalanced in an area, but now you're into the cut and now you're seeing it. Do you have a strategy? Do you increase um, training frequency in that area? Do you try and um, pile in some refeed days on those days that they train that? Like, do you have a way that you try and balance that out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the nice thing about the bikini division is there are no required poses, right? They call it the front pose, but there is multiple ways to hit it. So how you pose can dictate what your balance looks like, right? How much shoulder turn, how much profile you show, what your foot position looks like. So there are ways to kind of change imbalances. It can also come down to how you peak for a show. Um, you know, if some, let's say somebody typically has a little bit undersized shoulders compared to their lower body. Well, the good news there is that on show day, you can actually pump the hell out of your shoulders. So you can come out with shoulders really pumped vice versa it's a little more difficult to get a glute pump walking out so if you've got an issue with your glutes i'll actually have my competitors train the hell out of their glutes the day before the show why when your muscles are inflamed and food is going up they're going to be mm -hmm. swollen they're going to look bigger mm -hmm. so a lot of my competitors are training glutes very hard the day before the show so there are strategies you can use throughout prep um, to overcome issues and this is where as you're climbing the ranks as a competitor you know, at your novice and, you know, entry level com competitions, there's not going to be these kind of minute differences. You're going to see differences in skin quality, conditioning, muscularity, structure. As you go up towards the Olympia talent, there is less and less difference between 
you know, first, second, third, and fourth at the Olympia. You yeah, know, yeah. You can oh, make the case oh, yeah. for any of those girls to win any year, right? It just depends on what the criteria is and they're picking people apart. So, you know, based on that, that's how granular I will get. And, and, you know, I'm very competitive. I don't like going to shows and getting beaten. I realize it's a part of the job and it, it makes me a better coach when I do get beaten and I figure out how to fix that problem. But these are the things I pay attention to. Um, I get super granular with the posing, with the conditioning, how we pump, all those things. So we can up training frequency and we can put higher calories on, on key training days, right? So I might say, okay, yeah. we're going to have two high carb days a week on both of those days. I want those to be really intense shoulder workout days, you know? So there's definitely strategies to change the body while you're lean. Uh, it, it's so interesting. I, I, I've got one more question about your kind of physique coaching and then I've, I want to change tech and I want you to tell us a little about one of your clients. I remember listening to, I think it was Redefine Healthy Radio years ago. And I remember you saying, and I really respected it, that you initially had kind of a strategy as a physique coach and you're obviously, your clients are competing at the, the toppest level now, or at least some of them are. And you were saying, you know, I used to have this strategy, like I will not drop calories below a healthy kind of uh, point. And then you said you realized that in order to get your physique athletes to be competitive at a level they were losing, you were like, actually, you know what? We're just going to have to do what we have to do. And it will always be a conversation that we have. And it will always be, you know, at your kind of in your kind of agreement. But actually, if we have to get you stage ready and you're not quite there yet and we're eight weeks out, we're going to have to drop your calories. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, do you have like a basement recalories or a ceiling recardio where you're like, no, we're not going to go past that point or we're not going to go under that point? Or is this, again, very much athlete dependent? Where are they in the prep? Are they ready yet? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have my thresholds where I get nervous um, and it, both with nutrition and with cardio. But, you know, as someone in my position, I get the opportunity to work with athletes who have had other coaches who have competed and won their pro card and gone to the Olympia and all these things. And so what I'll often ask is like, OK, that year, can you show me what your plan was? You know, and I've had athletes send me that they were on, you know, 700 calories and three hours of cardio. Where? So when I look at that. And I go, well, how did you feel? They go, well, I felt terrible, but I don't care. I want, <laughs> right? So I'm an athlete as well. I'm a competitor as well. Like, you know, these trophies are, are things that I got because I outworked people, not because I had better genetics, not because I, you know, so I don't, I don't limit what my athletes are willing to do or capable of. I just try to manage them in a way where they don't run themselves into a dangerous place. So those approaches, those 700 calories and three hours of cardio, they work. The problem is that most of the coaches that are prescribing that don't actually understand how to temper them after, how to bring food up gradually, how to bring cardio down. Um, so while I don't like those approaches, I promise you when your back's against the wall and you're going to nationals or a pro show and the feedback is to get leaner, the judges don't care how much cardio you do. They don't care how much food you eat. They don't care how... They're just judging physique for physique. And so you have to be at least willing to, to do those things that are necessary for you. Not everybody's going to have to do that. But yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that conversation is a tough one to have on the internet because I think a lot of people will say like, oh, I can't believe they do that. But then again, those, are the, those aren't the people in the arena. Those aren't the people because everyone listening to this that's competed 
is going, I don't care. I would do that. If I told you this year, you're going to win the Olympia, how much cardio would you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All yeah. of it. You don't care. Right. No. So no, it's like no. the, uh, when they asked the Olympic athletes years ago, they asked them if you could take a drug that would guarantee you win a gold medal, but you'd be dead in five years, would you take it? And I think, you know, 70, 80% of them said yes. It's really, it's a, the athlete mindset's completely different. I married an international rugby player and he, he got player of the series when England played Australia a few years ago. And he could barely walk at that time. He'd torn the tendon in his foot. He had ba basically um, all but completely disintegrated the joint of, um, of his uh, big toe. And he, he, he said it felt like one of the studs of his boot was um, piercing through his joint the whole game. And yet he played the game of his life and he got player of the series and he had to retire not long after that because it was so bad. But I was always flabbergasted that he actually made it through 90 minutes of rugby, international rugby in, in that time, feeling that pain. And they just don't have that ceiling that most people have. And that's what makes them professional athletes. That and obviously genetic kind of monstery. But um, it, it's really interesting. It's a completely different mindset. I want to talk about one of your athletes. I want to talk about Deiraja because I know that she has had a, a stratospheric rise um, and it's it's so incredible to follow. I do know that also she's got incredible genetics. And, you know, there have been times where her training frequency has dropped way down to what you would ever expect from a, a competitor. So can you just talk to me a little bit about her in that context, her journey, her genetics and how proud you must be of her because you guys have been thick as thieves for a while now. When we started working together, I'll be honest, you know, like I thought, wow, she's a great looking competitor, but there was nothing that stood out to her and made me think like, okay, she's going to win the Bikini Olympia someday. I just thought, you know, she's got great shape and all those things. But Daraja, the one thing about her is she's such a student of the bikini division that she's actually helped me learn. She studies it. She knows the competitor. She knows the poses. She knows... So she, she became a student. She's actually made me such a good posing coach because when I sit down with her, I get to listen to how she thinks about things. And, you know, so in 2019, um, she had gotten fourth at nationals in 2018, right? And I thought, okay, she looks great. So the next year we had taken about six months off and we had planned to do a show by her house in Naples, which was a small nobody show. Nothing was going to happen there. It was just like to get us, get our feet wet, get back on stage before a national show. And I looked at her update and I said, you know, you're looking pretty good. Would you be interested in coming up to the Tampa show? Tampa being one of the premier NPC shows. It has the pro bikini division, which, you know, the winners of that show have been like Issa Pacini, Laura Lee Chapatos, Jennifer Dory, uh, Maureen Blanquisco. I mean, you, you, the who's who of bodybuilding, right? So this show has a big, a big turnout. You get pro judges. And so when I said that to her, she's like, I was literally hoping you would ask me to come up for this show. And I thought, okay, I don't know if we're quite ready for a big show, national show. She wasn't, you know, and she showed up and I remember seeing her pose at the gym the day before the show. And I thought, my God, you've completely transformed your look. The year before we had trouble getting her lean enough. And so you didn't really get to see that tiny little waist and that crazy uh, S structure that she has. And she ended up going into the show, winning her class, winning the overall and that was the first time that I thought, wow, I was looking at her and then the pro division and thinking like, man, she could have literally got on the pro stage that day. 
A couple weeks later, we go to the largest NPC show in history. Uh, she wins her class, wins the overall at that show. And that's when like the wheels started turning because after the show, a lot of the who's who of the IFBB were coming up to us now that she was a pro and asking us what we were going to do. And prior to that, I'd had some success. I'd, I'd had a girl um, win an overall at nationals, but I'd never really had success in the pro league. So I didn't really know how to navigate that. Right. So I started asking, you know, and getting to know the judges and, and Sandy, who's, you know, just a godsend for this division said to me, you know, it's hard to say how she'll do. So this was, you know, she had turned pro like September 2nd. And in 2019, the Olympia was like two weeks later. So there was no shows to do. So I said, we're going to do a show right after the Olympia and just see how you do. There was a show in our backyard. So I remember I went out to the Olympia and for the first time ever, I went to the Olympia and I went to all of the bikini events. I went to meet the Olympians. I watched the bikini division and I thought, you know, and, and you got to imagine in 2019, I thought I'll never have a competitor on the bikini Olympia stage. Getting a competitor a pro card is hard enough. Getting a competitor to win a pro show, I mean, there's like 30 or 40 of those girls on the planet, right? It's so hard to win a pro show. So I thought that's that's not something. I'll be lucky if I ever get that. So I go that year to the Olympia. I come back. The first show back is Daraja making her pro debut. And after prejudging, she's in the middle. And I'm like, this is crazy. This might happen. And she ended up winning that show getting Olympia qualified and immediately a week later we had now again, this shows how novice I was back then. I didn't know you could wait to put your contracts in for the show. So we had put her contract in for two shows. Perhaps if we had won that show, we might not have done any more shows. We might've just shut the season down because mind you, she's now undefeated on the season. So we signed up for one more show, the powerhouse pro and who's on the list, Ashley Kaltwasser. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, well, listen, we got nothing to lose. We're already Olympia qualified. We're already winning our pro card. This is just going to be our test to see how we stand up against the pros. There were seven Olympians there that day that were trying to get qualified. So she goes to that show, her second pro show. She wins that one too, beats Ashley Kaltwasser. And this is when everyone's like, oh my gosh, this girl's going to win the Olympia. We applied for the Arnold. And again, I made a mistake thinking, Okay, we just won two pro shows. The judges' feedback was like, don't change anything. But who won the Olympia in 2019? Issa Pacini. And I thought, man, Daraja has the same shape as Issa, the same kind of structure, that wild S-frame, but nowhere near as much muscle. So I immediately put Daraja on this really... Can I just interrupt and ask you, because yeah. I've never met Issa in real life. She looks, when she's on stage, like she's probably the tiniest person up there. But everyone I know who's met her in real life says that she's like stacked. She's massive. See, I'm so interested to see her in real life. Anyway, yeah. so carry on. She's got a, her legs, shoulders will, will, will blow your mind. You'll be like, how wow. is this bikini? But yeah. again, with bikini, it's so much about that structure and how you pose on stage. And she's actually gotten, you know, in trouble for being too big. You know, she won the Olympia one year, came back the next year and got sixth. You know, the, you know, the one thing I do love about coaching competitors in the bikini division, they work really hard to keep the bikini division bikini. Yeah. Because it's easy if you think of the girls that are the champions that keep growing for them to grow, outgrow the, the division and just make it unobtainable. But they always bring it back down. They always make it, you know, with Maureen last year, you saw someone that has, well, she has beautiful shape and muscle and fullness. I don't think anybody looks at her and says like, oh my gosh, she's such a freak, right? She's yeah, just yeah, got, yeah. she's got no flaws. Yeah. Um, 
And the mistake we made with Duraja was going into the Arnold, we put on about four pounds of muscle. And this is where we actually got blood work done with her. We realized she has really high natural testosterone and she was actually able to legitimately put on four pounds of muscle between October and March while staying in prep. We walk off the Arnold stage after getting like 11th and we were confused because I thought she looked perfect. And they immediately came and found us and said, like, you guys got way too big. You know, what? where is the competitor we saw last year? And we thought, oh, man. So we spent all of 2020 bringing her muscle down for her Olympia debut. Right. So that was still her third pro show. And ever since then, it's it's been, um, you know, for her, it's been about, you know, we can't really train her upper body. Her shoulders grow so fast. She definitely doesn't get to pump her shoulders up backstage. And we've just been focused on bringing her her hamstrings down, her glutes up, and keeping her quads stable, right? Yeah. Because for us, our goal right now is it's, I mean, it's ridiculous to say this, but we're trying to be the Bikini Olympia standard. That's our yeah, goal. Yeah, and so it's so funny. I think I heard a podcast with her a while ago, and she was like, I really had to bring my quads down. So I stopped taking the stairs anywhere. And I just kept getting the lift for the first time in my life everywhere I went. And I was laughing like, wow, you really have to be a genetic freak of nature and that you have to stop taking the stairs because your quads are too big. Well, and I mean, not for nothing, but you know, she got into bodybuilding to lift weights and to then go, okay, I have to stop doing the thing that I got into to fit the criteria. I mean, there were months, there were, there were periods of time where she literally was only doing glutes three days a week. That's it. No other muscle group. It's so it's so it must be really hard, you know, as someone who I just I just had a baby and I I couldn't train sixteen weeks postnatally. And it was really hard for me. And I don't care what the reason is. And again, this is where we talk about the athlete mentality. It's really difficult when you love doing something and you're told that you can't do it for a while. Yeah. Um I, I'm really excited. I want to get her on. I'll reach out to her after this and see if she wants to come on because her journey is just fascinating. Um, yeah. And she seems like a beautiful soul as well, which I really like. Um, okay, Paul, well, look, I'm going to let you go. You've been absolutely fantastic. Do you want to tell people listening where they can reach you if they're interesting, interested in competing? Yeah, so the best place is just go to prophysique.com and then you fill out a consultation form and we do free consultations, you know, um, that's really the best way. I do love to put out content on YouTube and Instagram. You can send me direct messages. I, I try to get back to everybody. You know, it's lower on my priority list than say like my clients, but, um, <laughs> yeah, YouTube, Instagram, prophysique.com, or just go to a show. Cause I'll be at all of them. <laughs> yep. And we obviously we're going to spell your name in the title of the, the episode, but just so you guys know, phonetically it's Revelia, not Revella. And if you do that, yeah. you will find him straight away. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, Paul. It's been utterly, utterly fascinating. I know you're such a busy man and it's uh, been really interesting to have you on. Guys, if you like this episode or any episode we've done, please like, subscribe, leave a review and we will see you next week for another fantastic guest. Sports Social Podcast Network.